All right, if you have your Bibles tonight, why don't you open them with me to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19. 1 Kings, chapter 19. I'd like to just share a little bit from the scripture here tonight and then want to pray on some specific things together with you. So let me kind of refresh you in this Old Testament story. 1 Corinthians chapter 19, Elijah the prophet has just had this wonderful spiritual victory on Mount Carmel. You, you may remember the story where Elijah challenged all the prophets of Baal to kind of a, a duel up on Mount Carmel. You called, whoever calls down fire from heaven, uh, that's the, they are the ones that are worshiping the true God. And so they have this big event up on the top of Mount Carmel. And uh, this is after many years of drought. And uh, you know, Ahab is the king in Israel. Jezebel is his wife. These are some of the characters that were uh, on the scene during this time. And, of course, uh, the prophets of Baal, try as they may, are not able to get any, any kind of fire down from heaven. But Elijah... He brings fire down from heaven as, as he prays to the true God. And then he, he actually executes all these false prophets of Baal. Well, word gets back to Jezebel, Ahab's king. Uh, or, excuse me, King Ahab's wife, uh, who loved all these prophets of Baal. They were all her, her guys. And uh, so this is where we pick it up in the story, chapter 19. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time, touched him, and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. And so he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Herob, the mountain of God. So... This is immediately following this great spiritual victory. Jezebel is now issuing death threats against Elijah. And she has, of course, the king's forces and military and uh, resources to back up her claim and her threat. You've, You've killed these prophets. I'll do the same thing to you. And so he runs for his life. And at this time, we find Elijah really greatly discouraged. Now, he's just had a tremendous victory. 
a supernatural victory where fire has come down from heaven. God has, is sending rain. Remember, this is immediately following that victory. He prayed and the Lord was sent rain at the end of this long drought. I mean, prayers are being answered. He's at a spiritual pinnacle, really, of his ministry. And here comes this murderous threat. And it discourages him. It's interesting that oftentimes, after, after spiritual highs, if you will, spiritual victories, that there is almost immediately on the tail end a discouragement, a threat, a, a fear, something that would come against you. It's almost as if when, you, when the Lord uses your life in a spiritual way, that it kind of puts you on the radar and the enemy now really uh, gathers forces against you to try and come and discourage you, to come and try and stop you from being useful to the Lord. So we might think it's strange that this would happen, but really we ought to think it actually quite normal, quite expected that this would happen. That as you give your life to the Lord, as you make your life available to be used by the Lord, Maybe you witness to somebody at work and, you know, you bring somebody to the Lord and there's this wonderful experience that God used your life to bring someone into the kingdom. A great kind of experience spiritually. And then the next day you find out that because they heard you were sharing Christ at work, they're considering laying you off. What? You know, and that's the kind of, of course, this is much more severe. They're threatening his life. But that's the kind of uh, immediately following a spiritual victory comes this uh, spiritual attack. Elijah is discouraged. He's running now for his life. And you see, he, you know, he says, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life. You kind of hear the heart of the prophet here. Lord, enough is enough. What can I do, God? What, what, what use is my life against this kind of rebellion, against this kind of rejection of you and your truth and your word? This nation doesn't want you. These people aren't listening to you. No matter what I do, even after a Mount Carmel, even after years of drought, and now you're sending rain, they want to kill me. It is enough, Lord. Just, just take my life. My ministry is useless. Lord, it's, nothing is working out the way that I'd hoped. He says, I'm no better than my fathers. Talking about those who had ministered before him. Those prophets that had also ministered and been rejected. Those ministers that had also not been able to bring the nation back to a heart towards God. And you just hear the prophet, he's, he's fatigued. He's, uh, he's feeling like his ministry is a failure. Even after the great victory, it doesn't seem to be producing any lasting spiritual results. There's no real change. There's no real turning of the heart. Jezebel, who's still in leadership, who's still the king's wife, is now coming to kill him. But we see the Lord sending help, don't we? Angels refreshing him. For his journey. Now, I know the women had study here on Monday night and uh, got into a little bit of study about the ministry of angels. 
And uh, what, a, what a wonderful study that was. I heard uh, such good report. We're not tonight looking to, to go off into a study on angels other than to say that God has help and messengers, those that he can bring across your path to help you, to encourage you, to strengthen you. But you'll notice that the angels don't really solve any big problem they simply give him what, he's, what, what he needs today to be refreshed and to continue in his journey. And I want you to understand that that's often what the Lord will do in your life too. You know, we want the Lord to just solve things. We want God to come down from heaven and just miraculously deliver all the trouble and, and just change the whole dynamic. But he... He rarely does that all in one big swoop. Not that he can't, not that he's unable, but that's just not his purpose. That's not what he's doing in your life. He's not looking to to show some great miraculous deliverance all of a sudden so that all your troubles and trials are removed. But he will meet you today. He, He will meet you with your manna for today. He will meet you with that refreshment that you need to go one more step in your journey. And you have to learn to trust the Lord in those seasons. God's not going to give you what you need for for the entire journey. God's going to give you what you need right now. He'll meet you at that place of need, and it'll be just enough to see you through to the next place that he wants to meet you and work in your life. And in so doing, what is he doing in our hearts? He's teaching us to depend on him. He's teaching us to trust him. He's teaching us how to walk by faith. You know, because as soon as God gives all the resource you need or solves all the trouble, you know, guess what happens to the human heart? Phew, glad that's over. Don't need the Lord anymore. Back to, to business as usual. We have a tendency to wander away from the Lord when we don't sense that need for the Lord in our life. And God loves us way too much to let us loose like that to our own destruction and to our own detriment. He keeps us close. He keeps us dependent because he knows that's the place of, of spiritual help. He knows that's the place of security. He knows that's the place of usefulness. He knows that's the place of blessing for you. Truthfully, you and I are are not built to be away from God. We have been created to be close to God. We are created to walk with Him in intimacy and in relationship. And God knows what, what it is that we need to keep us close to Him. I've got this little granddaughter who's just able now to walk. She's 15, 15 16 months. And I have to keep her close. We were going, we visited uh, on Tuesday, yesterday, and, and uh, you know, we were going to go uh, in the car. And boy, she's excited. She's ready to go. And out the door she goes, and she's off. And, you know, we're still packing and getting things out, uh, getting ready to go out. But I know that I can't let her, she's going to be right out in that street if I don't. So out I go with her. And I'm right on her tail. You know, she doesn't know. She's just going. And uh, as so, sure enough, as soon as she gets to the street, I have to kind of pick her up. That's far enough, sweetheart. Here, let's get you in the car seat. No, she doesn't want the car seat. But you get the idea. 
that there's a, there's a place of safety and, and protection, and we need the Lord. We need to be close to the Lord. And what we see here is the Lord sending this angel, giving the nourishments that, that's needed, giving the refreshment. It's not enough to solve all of Elijah's troubles. It's not enough to really deliver him from his current predicament. But it is enough, miraculously, to, get, to keep him going for the next 40 days. So look for the Lord to meet you in those times of need, but don't look for him to solve it all. But do look for those moments of refreshment, those times of, of that angelic touch, maybe a, a brother, a sister in the Lord, a, a word in season, an angel if need be. God's got his eye on you. God's watching over you. And he will, if you're watching for him, if you'll keep your eye open to him, he will meet you in those moments and give you encouragement. Look on with verse 9. So now Elijah has run, and he's, all, he's out of Israel. He's all the way down into Judah now. He's, he's, uh, he's, now he's gone to Mount Horeb, and, and here he finds a place to hide. Verse 9. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And so he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. The Lord says, Elijah, what are you doing? Now, do you think the Lord needed to know what Elijah, don't you, the Lord knows what Elijah is doing, right? What's the Lord doing? What is this little encounter between the Lord and Elijah? He's kind of getting Elijah to talk, isn't he? He's saying, Elijah, what's, what's up? You're here in the cave. What are, you, what are you doing here in the cave? Why are you hiding out in the cave? And as if the Lord needs, needs to be informed, Elijah is happy to inform him. Well, Lord, in case you didn't know, I have been zealous for you. I've been serving you, by the way, Lord. And, and, and you know... Uh, and it's not turning out very well. Nobody is receiving. All your people are turning their back and they're killing off the prophets. I'm the last one and they're ready to kill me now, too. Elijah just pours his heart out to the Lord and he pours it out in complaint. I mean, it's a little bit of a pity party, isn't it? It's kind of like, woe is me. I just you'd... And he's just whining it out to the Lord. But it seems to me that the Lord was drawing that out of him. You know, I think the Lord can handle our honest pouring out of our hearts, our crying out to him. He's not disrespectful. He's not, he, doesn't, he doesn't lay charge against God, but he definitely cries out his circumstance to the Lord. Have you ever had those, those moments where you're just, you, know, you just need to have a good kind of, I don't want to say a cry session, but maybe it's a cry session, but a good just letting God know what the problems are. As if he needs to hear from us, but the Lord's okay with that. There is something about the Lord ministering to Elijah. The Lord knows Elijah's discouraged. Do you get discouraged? I do. And the Lord knows. And you know, he, he finds him in this place where he's just kind of sulking. He's very discouraged. He's depressed. And the Lord comes and says, Elijah, what are you doing? What's happening? And maybe the Holy Spirit, you know, would speak to your heart in those moments. Hey, what's going on in your life? 
I see that you're downcast. I know you're hurting. I see you're discouraged. I see, I, I see that you feel overwhelmed. Pray to me. What, what, tell me what's in your heart. Pour it out before the Lord. Bring your complaint, if you will, to him. Not disrespectfully. Not shaking your fist at him. Not laying charge against God, but crying out in honesty. Not because the Lord doesn't know, but because you and I need to, to pour it out through our own heart. You know, there is a healing in that. There is a, there is a spiritual medicine to just praying things through with the Lord. Prayer. Prayer. Prayer is what God is drawing out of this discouraged heart. Prayer. Pour out your heart to God. Instead, we, we, we've, just like Elijah, we sit in the dark of our own cave and we sulk. And we just go deeper into our own self-pity. And we imagine how horrible it is and our life is over and our ministry is useless and it's just me and everybody is out to get me and no one cares about anything and I'm just, you know, this is my story. And this is what Elijah was doing. But God, God says, Elijah, what are you doing? And he gets him to pray. Listen, believer, I speak to my own heart. When you come to those places of discouragement and despair, when you come to that place where you feel yourself spiraling down, you need to pray. You need to get with God and pour your heart out. Not because He doesn't know, but because you need to express your heart to the God who is listening to the God who wants to meet you even in those discouraging moments. Look with me in verse 11. The Lord begins to respond to Elijah. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And so it was, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. It's as if this still small voice, that's Elijah's sense, that's how the Lord is going to minister to me now. So he prepares himself to receive from the Lord. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? The Lord again prompts Elijah's heart. And, and here Elijah's happy to tell him all over again, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the I'm so glad you asked again, Lord. I wanted to tell you again. Because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Do you see this exchange? 
this, this ministry of the Lord into this discouraged heart. God is drawing something out of the man. God is drawing and soliciting that deep heart prayer. You know, we, off, we, we send up, let's be honest, we, I, I send up a lot of quick, not very deep heart prayers, right? Usually at mealtime, Lord, thank you for this meal. I'm so glad. I'm so hungry. I wish I didn't have to take this time to pray because I'm starving. But thank you, Lord. Please bless it. Amen. Right? Those quick, and we are sincere. That's a good thing. I'm not despising that practice. But many of our prayers are, you know, just, you know, just kind of out of respect and appreciation. And those are good prayers. All prayer is good prayer. But there are times when you really need to pour out deep, heartfelt prayers. And God will bring your life to seasons where that, that has to come bubbling out of you. That crisis in the home. That crisis in the marriage. That news at work. That phone call from the family member. From, the, from, the, from you know, whatever the crisis may be. That, that season where your life is brought to that place where you know, I've got nowhere to turn but God. And you have to turn to Him. And you have to cry out to Him. And I, I love how the Lord is, is drawing Elijah out. Now, he's beginning to show his hand. He's, he's beginning to demonstrate even certain miraculous things around him. But it's in the still small voice that God wants Elijah's attention. This still small voice. Uh, I, I like what Spurgeon says. Many have been converted to God by the still small voice whom no... Uh, whom no wind, though it rose to a hurricane, no earthquake, though it rent the world to its center, and no fire, though it licked up the forest, could ever move. A gentle word has done it. Sometimes that still small voice has come to us by apparently very, very inadequate means. It is, astonish- it is astonishing what little things God will use when he pleases to do so. Elijah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna meet you in, in a mighty wind, a powerful earthquake, in fire from heaven. I'm gonna meet you in a still small voice. I'm gonna speak a word into your heart. I'm gonna talk with you. I'm gonna encourage you, down in the inner man, with my words, with my promises, with my encouragements. And I do believe that the Lord often is trying to get us to that place. You know, we want a miracle. We need a miracle. God, you don't understand. I need a miracle. I don't need a still, small voice. But God is is wanting you and I to learn to trust in His voice. Do you know that His word, His promise, is more sure than signs and wonders? He wants us to learn to trust in what He has promised He will do. To learn to trust and to be led by the voice of the Holy Spirit. To be led by the Word of God speaking truth into your heart. That's how God wants to lead His children. Paul said in Romans, those that are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Not led by miracles. Not led by signs and wonders. Now, we're we're all for those. We desire those. We, We celebrate those acts of God. 
But listen, Christian living, day-to-day living with God is not from miracle to miracle. It's from still small voice to still small voice. Here, Here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept, God speaking into our hearts by His Word, from His Word, by His Spirit, into our hearts. This is how God wants to lead. This is how God wants to encourage we had a uh, we had a leadership meeting this Monday night. Just some of the, the men gathering while the ladies were having their study. We we met together, and I had a, a pastor friend of mine from Calvary Chapel Whittier was in, just happened to be up in the area, and I asked him just to come and share a little devotional thought with with the men before he left. And he talked about you know just having our sufficiency in Christ. And there was just a lot of really good nuggets in the things that he shared. But one of the things he was talking about, you know, even in ministry, you know, you can get to where you feel really inadequate. You can have those seasons where because you're just you're still just a man, you're you're still just flesh, you're still just a sinner, you know, and and, and you want your life to be used by God. But you, you realize how inadequate you are. You realize that you're not sufficient for these things. You realize that, you know, it can't happen except by the grace of God. And and he said there can be times when you just wonder if even God's grace is enough. But he said this, he said, "But, but the grace of God is an ocean. And that little nugget just lodged in my heart. You know, we sing that song, you know, if grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. We're all sinking in the grace of God. And just the, the, the fact that God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is more than enough to make us sufficient for the things that he's called us to do. And, and for me, that, that, that was that little still small voice in my heart. You know, that's what I needed to hear that Monday night. I, I, I was discouraged. I was feeling certain things going on in my own heart, you know. A lot of things going on in our church and changes, and these things can overwhelm you, and you begin to wonder, Lord, what's going on here? And, and you know, Lord, am I sufficient for these things? Lord, do I have enough grace for this? My grace is an ocean. It's enough. His grace is sufficient. And that was the still small voice for me. And and I share that with you to encourage you tonight to be listening for those words, that still small voice that will become the encouragement, the nourishment that you need in the moment to be refreshed in your spirit and to be encouraged in your faith. Circumstances haven't changed. You know, the the heavens haven't parted and all the answers to my problems come down. But God's grace is an ocean. I got that in my heart. You know what? The next night, which was last night, my wife and I, we took a little drive down to the coast and we watched the sunset down where were we? Uh, Crystal Cove, down there between Corona Del Mar. and We were just in the parking lot and uh, took a couple chairs out, just watched the sunset, and I looked out on that ocean. And guess what? Guess what word came rushing back into my heart? My grace is an ocean. 
And as I saw just the expanse, you know, farther than the eye can, it just, it just blessed my soul. The still, small voice. That's the encouragement that I needed for this week. And, you know, you need to be encouraged, too. It's not going to come necessarily in mighty miracles. Now, thank God when they do come that way. But often it's the, it's the still, small voice of encouragement. The Lord speaks to him. From there, the Lord, in verse 15, the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of uh, Shapat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place, Elisha. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill, and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. God now really opens up Elijah's understanding. He lets him pour his heart out, he lets him cry it out, and then he says, All right, Elijah, get up. Get up and get back into the work of service that I've called you to. Start anointing. We've got new leaders to anoint. I've got new ministry to, to raise up. You go find Elisha and raise him up. And you know the story of Elisha, right? He would be the prophet behind Elijah. And, and Elisha would desire a double portion of Elijah's ministry. And God would use him mightily. God is saying, look, I'm not done. You're not done. I'm not done with you. First of all, I never left you. I've got 7,000 that you don't even know about. Oh, I'm the only one left. Not hardly. I've got 7,000 waiting. I've reserved them for my purpose. And don't worry, you'll be safe. Whoever comes after you, I've got people in line to take care of, to keep an eye over you. Elijah would never be killed by Jezebel. How did Elijah go? Do you remember? He was caught up into the heavens. He never died. He just got translated. All that worry, God, just kill me. Lord, they're going to kill me. No, they're not. I've got you. I, now, now I, I let you kind of pity a little while. I've heard your heart. And God's not, he's not patronizing. He's, he sincerely, he's moved with the things that move, of, move us. Jesus is sympathetic, empathetic to our struggles. And he allows us to cry that out and to pour it out. And then he says, okay, now guess what? We're moving forward. Rise up. Get back to work. Start anointing. Let's get going again. And, of course, Elijah would go on and continue his ministry. And it would end in glory and uh, a beautiful testimony of God encouraging him, but also bringing him out of that place of discouragement and continuing to use him in ministry. I want us to pray tonight. And I want us to spend a little time praying for one another. It seems to me that discouragement is often an attack that the enemy uses to neutralize and um, distract us in our spiritual life. 
I know it is for me, and, I, and I'm not alone. I, I know that many pastors, this is the, the thing we have to continually, just as Elijah, this is an example for us. Even men used mightily of the Lord, they have these moments where they need to cry out to God and have that still, small voice refresh them and encourage them. So I want us to pray tonight. I'm going to ask you to gather in groups no larger than five. And I just want you to pray for God's encouragement into one another's life. Now, if you're particularly discouraged, go ahead and let your group know, you know what, I I really need that word from the Lord. And, And without going into details of your, because then we'd be here a long time if everybody started sharing, right? Like Elijah, we'd be crying out all night. We can't. You do that with the Lord later, but tonight, just let people know, look, I'm discouraged. I, I, would, I would covet your prayers, and then just pray for one another. Now, if you're in a good place, and you're not discouraged, is there anybody here tonight that's not discouraged? <laughs> good, praise the Lord. Now, there will be many. Uh, listen, then, then you can give thanks to the Lord, and, and give, just give a, a, a prayer of thanksgiving and praise to God. Thank Him for His faithfulness. Thank him for his mercy. Thank him for his long-suffering and his patience in your life. Thank him for the promises that he's given to you in his word. Thank you for his son, Jesus, who died on the cross. You have much to be thankful for. And so let's gather and we'll just spend a few minutes and then I'll call us back together and we'll close in some worship. But I just pray that, that maybe even tonight, listen, as your brother or sister is praying for you, You'll get a word in season. You'll get that grace is an ocean word for your heart. And, and, and as you're praying, pray in, in the Spirit. Pray being led by the Spirit. Uh, pray that God would give you even insight into those things that you're praying. Let's have the Holy Spirit kind of orchestrate our prayer time tonight. Not just going through motions, but really letting God minister to us. And uh, let the Lord speak to you in words of encouragement. Some of you just offer up praise and thanksgiving and worship. And let that be our time here in the next ten minutes or so of prayer. Groups no larger than five. And pray pray the circle if you can. If you're not comfortable praying out loud, you don't have to. Just just don't. Uh, Let others carry the prayer for you. Uh, But others don't. Dominate all the prayer time. Don't be a prayer hog. You don't, you're not the only one praying. Let everybody have a chance to pray and to express their thanks. Let's go ahead and group up here and then we'll come back together to close in some worship.